Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. It's Friday, November 11th. Today's podcast focuses exclusively on this week's feature from WFUV's newsroom. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Shayna Walsh. Leading up to this week's election, the WFUV newsroom brought you a little ballot breakdown. With dozens of candidates running, it was easy for New Yorkers to forget about the four ballot measures on Tuesday. So to find out a little bit more about the local ballot proposals, I sat down with Jennifer Jones Austin, the CEO of the Federation of Protestant Welfare Agencies. So New York's got three ballot proposals aimed at racial justice. I think the most confusing one for voters can be this preamble, the statement of values for the New York City government. Can you walk me through exactly what that means? So the first ballot measure is intended to cast a vision. It would cast a vision that says that we're a multiracial democracy where everyone has value and everyone has worth. It doesn't matter your race, your religion, uh, doesn't matter your, your income status. You should have an opportunity to a quality education, quality health care. You should have an opportunity to live in safe and affordable housing. You should have an opportunity to earn fair and livable wages. It's essentially a preamble. It's a statement of values to guide government in decision-making. How does that get implemented in a city like New York? What it does do is it causes the government to say, you know, maybe we shouldn't be looking at who can afford what, but rather looking at how we go about making those changes so everybody has a voice and everybody's heard. Another thing I want to touch on was um, the true cost of living measure. And I think that's something that can have a very tangible effect on New Yorkers that I'm kind of curious of like, what's your understanding of that measure and how it can really affect New Yorkers? The true cost of living measurement would say that New York City has to calculate on an ongoing basis every year what it actually costs to live here. This is important because we know that nearly half of New Yorkers struggle to make ends meet. But when we are making decisions around uh, safe and affordable housing, and we're using an average median income that may be slanted upward, when we use a federal poverty measure that really suppresses, discounts what it costs to live here, federal poverty measure says that anywhere in America, one adult and two children needs just $22,000 to not be poor. That measure is used to essentially set wages. That measure is used to determine who may be eligible for a child care subsidy, a housing subsidy. So if you need income supports like a child care subsidy and it's based off of $22,000, the federal poverty level, you're not going to be eligible. And that would concern not just people of color. That concerns all people who are struggling to make ends meet. So we've touched on the preamble. We've touched on true cost of living. What else is on the docket? So the third ballot measure would establish an Office of Racial Equity and Perpetuity, appreciating that here in America, we've endured 400 years of racial injustice. We all were birthed into a society that where racism had already been embedded in the structures. And so we live it out, including Black Americans sometimes, like living into it and living it out unintentionally. So the Office of Racial Equity would require every city agency, every mayoral office, to like take a look at what they've been doing, their policies, their programs, their practices, and see where they may intentionally or unintentionally have, you know, have policies, have system structures that actually promote inequity and injustice and work to do something about it. This would probably cost about $10 million a year on a $101 billion budget. And if we do this work on the front end, 
It'll actually pay for itself on the back end. When we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of children who go through the New York City school system and they are graduating, largely children of color, not being reading and math proficient because they haven't had quality educations, we're paying for it on the back end. And until we try to get to the roots of the problems and address the power structures that deny certain people access to real meaningful opportunity, we're not going to overcome these bias structures, these bias systems. So we've got to attack it at the root and we've got an opportunity now. That was my co-host David Escobar talking with Jennifer Jones Austin about the racial justice proposals on New York City's ballot. And racial justice initiatives weren't the only thing on the ballot. New Yorkers had the chance to vote yes or no on an environmental protection measure. I sat down with organizers and elected officials to discuss how this measure will impact New Yorkers. The Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Bond Act is designed to fund projects like land conservation, improving air and water quality, and improving infrastructure. If the ballot measure is passed, $4.2 billion will be dedicated to these initiatives. The bill was originally proposed by former Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2020. Even though the bill was approved by state legislature, it was pulled because of the pandemic. Now, with a bigger budget and support from Governor Kathy Hochul, it's finally up for a vote. So it's now the Clean Water, Clean Air, Green Jobs Bond Act, which is wonderful because it really, um, it's named for the things that it does. That was Jessica Otney-Mahar, the New York Director of Policy and Strategy for the Nature Conservancy. It includes programs to protect our clean drinking water and our water quality in our bays and our harbors. It includes programs to reduce air pollution. And it includes provisions that will make sure that the nearly 100,000 good-paying jobs this Bond Act is going to create are good for New Yorkers. The Nature Conservancy is just one of over 300 organizations involved in the Vote Yes for Clean Water and Jobs Coalition, which is working to spread information on Proposition 1. The Natural Resources Defense Council is also a part of that group. Senior attorney Kimberly Ong hopes it's an easy decision for people going to the polls. I mean, I think of the Bond Act as just a no-brainer investment in our future. And this investment is going to help create over 84,000 jobs. And the money is going to be spent on common sense measures to protect our air, our water, and our communities. So where's the money going to go? Well... $1.5 billion will go to air and water reduction projects as well as green energy. $1.1 billion will go to flood reduction and shoreline protection. $650 million will go to land conservation. Another $650 million will go to infrastructure. And $200 million will go to state parks. Ong from the NRDC says one of the primary goals of the bill is to help people. You know, folks who are earning lower incomes and people of color are the most vulnerable to the worst of um, environmental harms. When we think of any kind of uh, climate change effects, uh, exposure to air pollutants, to water pollution, uh, drinking water, drinking water contamination, uh, these communities are by far, in a way, the most injured. And so it makes sense to us that at least 35%, but hopefully 40% of these funds will be used to benefit these disadvantaged communities. A minimum of $200 million will go directly to programs in these communities. 
Residents of New York neighborhoods like the South Bronx, Harlem, and Bedford-Stuyvesant face greater health risks associated to air pollution and climate change. These communities are primarily communities of color. They are black and brown. They are immigrant. They are working families um, who live there, who are experiencing the you know higher rates of asthma, higher rates of respiratory issues because of their air. Literally is not clean. That was Councilwoman Jennifer Gutierrez, the representative for District 34. She represents the Williamsburg, Bushwick, and Ridgewood communities. And it's not like they can just take a getaway to the Hamptons over the weekend to get away. from. That's not a reality for us, right? We live, work, eat, worship in these communities. And so for us, it really is um, a, a difference of life and death for us to fight for cleaner air. The council member hopes to see the benefits of the Bond Act coming to her community soon. We want to keep people here, right? We don't want to make New York City the place that everyone leaves because we weren't prepared uh, for climate change, because we didn't take resiliency seriously enough. Today, New Yorkers have the chance to vote yes or no on the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Bond Act. Polls are open until 9 p.m. Don't forget to flip over your ballots. That was my co-host Shayna Walsh talking about the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Bond Act that was up for vote this week. On Sunday, the New York City Marathon weaved through all five boroughs, finishing up in Central Park. WFUV's Taylor Massetta took a trip to the finish line to see what the iconic race is all about. When you watch the finish of the New York City Marathon, you see every emotion possible. When runners turn into Central Park, a hill stands between them and the finish line, a brutal conclusion to a 26.2 mile race. Some runners grimace in agony as they make their way down the final straightaway, while others are all smiles, jogging along the sidelines and high-fiving cheering onlookers. Many people have tears streaming down their faces, overwhelmed with emotion for making it this far. No matter what, the finish of the New York City Marathon is an emotional affair. The New York City Marathon isn't just a race. It's the essence of New York, captured for all to see. With 50,000 competitors towing the line this year, thousands of stories can come together. Not just from the five boroughs, but from the entire world. The marathon may be grueling, but people sure know how to make it fun. A man jogs by while balancing a pineapple on his head, and another sprints to the finish in a hot dog costume. A woman even skips by, decked out in a wedding veil. To Ayumi Nagano, the New York City Marathon has been four years in the making. After two pregnancies and the pandemic, Nagano finally towed the line, finishing in about four hours. My first marathon, it's my home state. Um, I've spectated the New York City Marathon so many times, and I just have loved the adrenaline and the energy of the city. Nagano faced many trials and tribulations throughout her running career, including an eating disorder and a drug addiction. With love and support from her family, she overcame these hurdles. One constant in her life has always been running. Running became sort of my serenity, my peace of mind, the place where I went. It almost became like my best friend. When I was really kind of going through hard times, my go-to was, in a lot of ways, running. And even when I was running away from my eating disorder, if I was just trying to like kind of slow down my breathing and my thoughts, um, I went to running. Nagano eventually started coaching cross-country at Millennium Brooklyn High School. Her athletes inspired her to make a return to racing, and she's never looked back since. To Nagano, there's no place like New York. New York City itself is like no other city I've ever been to 
before. And just the energy is constantly in the air and you can feel that energy. And it's not just the competitors that make this race so special. Even as a spectator at the New York City Marathon, because if that's how much energy you could feel while you're spectating, I can't imagine the amount of adrenaline that you'll feel while you're actually racing it, being surrounded by these hundreds of thousands of people. Multiple runners extend their home country's flags over their heads as they make their way to the finish line. Ukrainian flags received resounding cheers of support from the crowds in particular. In a way, this represents what the New York City Marathon is all about coming together and sharing a moment of triumph. That was WFUV's Taylor Massetta giving the rundown on New York City's marathon. November is Native American Heritage Month, so WFUV's Leah Mallory caught up with some indigenous organizers at the New York City Marathon's opening ceremony. She talked with the Red Hawk Native American Arts Council about the importance of acknowledging indigenous communities. Every year, the New York City Marathon brings together people from all over the world to run through the five boroughs on the first Sunday of November. The opening ceremony, which takes place in Central Park the Friday before the race, is an opportunity to celebrate the diverse makeup of NYC. This year, in honor of Native American Heritage Month, the celebration kicked off with a speech by Chief Dwayne Perry of the Ramapo Lenape Nation. Standing in front of the crowd, the chief took the opportunity to celebrate the formal land acknowledgement that recognizes Central Park as native land. Adorned in their traditional clothing and carrying their instruments, the Ramapo Lenape people gave a presentation in honor of this historic moment. Cliff Matias, the cultural director of the Red Hawk Native American Arts Council, says that this recognition is the first of its kind. You know, instead of just giving an acknowledgement, they actually asked the chief to be here and they actually did, um, you know, contracted dancers and, and, and were able to, to share and educate the people. So it was a little bit more than just, a, a, you know, someone from the, the committee doing a land acknowledgement. The goal of the council is to educate people on Native American culture and heritage through art. And that is absolutely what happened at the opening ceremony. Why is it important? It's absolutely important because New York, the average New Yorker has no idea who indigenous people are, has no idea of the history of New York City, um, has no idea that there are tribes, you know, within 45 minutes of New York City. Matias, Chief Perry, the Lenape people, and the Red Hawk Native American Arts Council are only a small part of the mission to highlight indigenous communities in New York. Whether they're land acknowledgments or acknowledging indigenous people here, um, all that contributes to uh, our narrative, you know, of, of, of being counted, of being representative, letting people know that we're, we still exist. Only together, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, can we continue to elevate the voices, history, and contributions of the Native American community to the world. That was WFUV's Leah Mallory reporting on the Red Hawk Native American Arts Council at the New York City Marathon. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every Friday for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast. It explores current events, culture news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area. And it includes features and interviews just like the ones you heard exclusively from WFUV. You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find out more at WFUVnews.org. Before we sign off, we want to take a moment to recognize all of those who've served in honor of Veterans Day. 
And I'm David Escobar. And I'm Shayna Walsh.